starting somewhere around chapter 14. My main portions will be in the book of John, John 14, John 16. I will go here and there, but we're going to start off in the book of John, chapter 14. We find the Lord that after he had washed his disciples' feet and they had had their supper, we find that he begins his last discourse to them, which, by the way, is one of my most favorite portions in the Bible. I love last words, and the last words of Jesus are the most precious to me. He had been hinting at this for some time, and now he starts telling them that he was going away. And the disciples begin to be worried, and they they get sad. They had become so accustomed to him. I mean, he had been with them for something around three-plus years, during which time he walked with them, he talked with them, he, he slept with them, he ate with them, he taught them, he healed them, he loved on them, he cared for them, he answered all their questions, he, he led them, he drove them, he prayed for them, with them, over them. He revealed himself and his power and his might in such beautiful ways. And he even empowered them, sending them out, sending them out two by two. He trained them. He was with them all the time. He was the tender, beautiful, loving shepherd that was with them always. They were so used to his presence. They were comfortable with his presence. They loved his presence. There was no one like him that they had ever met, nor will there ever be anybody like him. I love how Pastor Chuck put it. He said, Jesus was a great guy to have around. He really was. If they were hungry, he fed them. When someone was sick, he healed them. If they had trouble with taxes, right, Jesus provided from the mouth of a fish. If they were caught in a life-threatening storm, Jesus made everything peaceful and okay again. Jesus was a great guy to have around, says Pastor Chuck. He was. I agree. But now, he's telling them that all of that is about to end. But he tells them, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't worry. I'm going to send you someone else, someone who will take my place. Another helper. Sorry, I just can't help imagining what that must have felt like. John 14, 16, he says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be with you. He will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, he said. He tells him in John 16, 7, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus was speaking of none other than the Holy Spirit. He was to be sent to do what Jesus did for them while he was on his earthly mission and more. And in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, Once Jesus was glorified with the Father, he sent his spirit, the spirit of Christ, to the disciples who were gathered in that upper room, praying while they were waiting. I love that. You know, you're waiting. What do we do? What do we do while we're waiting? I loved it. While we were waiting for the service to start, we are praying. It's like, okay, I could pray. While we're waiting, you're doing something productive. You're praying. Right? It's important that we're always busy, that we're always about the Lord's business. And I love that while they were waiting, They were praying. What an amazing way to spend your time. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Imagine what that must have been like. Amazing. Amazing. What an amazing experience. And then we see a little bit later on in verses 36 and 37. You remember after they received the Holy Spirit, what do they do? They all just rushed outside. I mean, they overflowed, right? After they had been filled, they overflowed and they poured out into the streets. And there was people outside. And and when they poured out, they were speaking in tongues and they were giving glory to God. And the multitude just gathered. They gathered around them. And what happened? Peter got up and he started preaching. He started preaching like he had never preached before. There was something different about his preaching. And how did they respond to that preaching? They believed on Jesus. In verse 36, 
Peter says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both the Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do? Let me ask you something. Who pricked them? Was it Peter? Was it one of the brethren there going around picking at him? Repent, repent, repent. No, it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought them conviction because we just read that they were the ones. Um, Peter told them, whom you crucified. And nobody was like, no, that wasn't me. No, it was true. They crucified Jesus. But it doesn't matter what Peter would have said if the Holy Spirit hadn't been the one ministering to them. If the Holy Spirit wasn't the one that was moving and anointing his words and pricking their hearts. In John 16, 8, Jesus had already told them who, who would be the one pricking the hearts. And when he has come, he will convict or prick the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. If Peter had preached this sermon the day before the Holy Spirit was given, it would have been of no use. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came and was given to them that Peter was empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he delivered this sermon and all the multitudes believed and were convicted by the Holy Spirit. And then and only then they put their faith into action. They believed and then you could read that they were baptized right there. It was a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. He is known as the spirit of conviction because, as we just read, he will convict the world. Now, I'm going to define convict, or in the King James, it says reprove. The definition is to find or prove someone guilty of an offense or crime, especially by the verdict of a court. To show or declare to be blameworthy, to condemn, to make aware of one's sinfulness or guilt. Most people believe that they are good people, right? Especially like when you're sharing with people and you're trying to tell them you need to ask God for forgiveness. They're like, why? I'm a good person. I, I don't do anything wrong. And maybe they'll even tell you, look, I do this, I do that. Right? And maybe they are generally, you know, generally good people. But they're without Christ. And so, have you been there like scratching your head like, God, how do I tell them, you know, that they're sinners, right? They're so good. <laughs> you know, they're better than most Christians. How do I tell them? You can't. You can't. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to show them. He has to reveal it to them. He has to open their eyes. Trying to tell them or even convince them otherwise oftentimes can even be offensive. There's people that, you know, they don't even want to see us anymore. Right? Because they think that we just are trying to tell them that they're bad people and that they need, you know, they're going to hell because they're bad people and they need to repent. And they don't see that they're bad people. Unless the Holy Spirit pricks their hearts, they're never going to see it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict, to convince, to show people, to reprove them of their sin. In verse 9, he says, of sin, he says he's going to convict the world, and he tells them of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, why? What kind of sin? sin? Of sin because they do not believe in me. John Corson explains this, and he says, The one and only sin the Holy Spirit will convict an unbeliever of is that of not believing in Jesus. He doesn't convict people of smoking. He doesn't speak to them about their swearing, drinking, or partying, only of their unbelief in Jesus. Now, if they believe in Jesus, they are forgiven of all their sin. All those are the things that we think, well, look at what they do with their time and look at what they put in their body and look at, you know, how they do this and how they do that. If they believe on Jesus, all of that will be forgiven. All of it will be put into place. So it's not our job to tell them, well, you know, it's, it's a sin to do this and it's a sin to do that, you sinner. You need to repent. It's not our job to do that. And oftentimes we find ourselves... Like at the grocery store, oh, Lord, help me. How do I tell this girl that she's a sinner and she needs you? (laughs) But that's not what we should be praying or asking. We should say, Lord, show her who she is. Show her her sin or him or whomever. And show them yourself. 
Reveal yourself to them. Convict them of their sin. That's how we should be praying. Think about it. Um, When you began to believe, when maybe you were wrestling, when you no longer were at peace with your life, it was the Holy Spirit that was pricking. It was coming after you. It's talking to you. A nickel here, a dime there, a penny there. Just talking, working on you. It was him who was working, and he began that work in you until the moment that you believed and you put your whole trust in Jesus. No one could take credit for that. That is a work of the Spirit of God. So just like he formed Jesus in the willing womb of a young girl named Mary, the Holy Spirit also forms Jesus within the willing heart. It is him that gives birth to Jesus in my heart, in your heart, in the people across the street, in your family's heart, in your husband's, in your children, in whomever. It is the Holy Spirit that gives him birth anywhere and everywhere he desires. But when we harden our hearts, when we refuse to believe, when we refuse to move our faith into action, when we live in rebellion against Jesus, then it's a sin. John Corson also said, the conviction of the Spirit does not drive us away from God. On the contrary, it draws us to God. It's the condemnation of Satan that makes us ashamed to talk to the Father. You can always tell the difference between the Spirit convicting you and Satan condemning you. Because if it's condemning you, you won't want to pray. And you won't want to spend time in the Word. You'll just hang out in a hole and hide your head. But if it's the Spirit convicting you, you'll hear, Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you'll be drawn back to Jesus. That's how it works. That's how we could define it. You know, somebody once told me, you know, I will never go to your church. I, you know, when I was, because I took this person to church, and, and he told me when I was at your church, I felt such condemnation. I will never go to that church again. And at that time, this was in my youth, I didn't know what to say. But now as I've been studying, I understand. He wasn't feeling conviction. He was feeling condemnation. Satan was condemning him. And that's why he pulled away. He resisted. It was sad. Romans 8 1 tells us, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because condemnation separates us from God. Conviction, on the other hand, should always draw us closer to Him. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit when we feel that conviction. So we need to be attentive to those things when we talk to people. It's like, wait. What are, you, what are you feeling? Are you feeling condemnation or are you feeling convicted? And that's why it's important. And that's why we define these words. It's not just because I want to fill up, you know, 45 minutes with a definition from the dictionary. It's because we need to know. We need to rightly divide the word of truth so that we can see what's going on in someone. Like, okay, wait, are you being condemned? Because if you're being condemned, that's not from the Lord. Oh, you know what, that conviction, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. Don't resist. Don't resist. Pray to him. Ask him to reveal himself to you, and he will. The enemy holds on so tight to those who are his, so much so that they don't know who the feeling is coming from. And of course, they blame the feeling on people or even God and when it's, or a church, you know, when it either is the devil standing and accusing them, making them feel that they can't approach God, or, you know, it could be that it's the Holy Spirit that's drawing them to, them, to himself. It is the Holy Spirit's job to draw us to Jesus. He is not here to bring glory or attention to his self. He is here to glorify Jesus. This is an important point, and it's a reason why a lot of people, and even Christian churches, don't really want to take on the the topic of the Holy Spirit. Because there's just, it's similar to, to the worship of Mary. You know, there's such an extreme that people just don't want to, they just don't want to go that way. So they kind of stay somewhere in between, but on the same on the other side of that token, they neglect the teaching and, and the awareness of the Holy Spirit. And we need to know. We need to know him. We need to know who he is and why he's here and, and how we can lean into him and how we can talk to him and, and what he's here for. We need to know that. He is called the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of, of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the Son. You'll find all those titles in the New Testament. And they are all referring to the Holy Spirit. 
And he is called the Spirit of Christ and all of these other titles because Jesus sent him. Because he comes to glorify Jesus. He doesn't come to bring attention to himself. Even as Jesus was here on earth and what he keeps saying, he didn't come to draw attention to himself. He wanted to point everyone to the Father. And he even said, the words I speak are not my own, they are the Father's. So now the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing. The words that he speaks, he speaks of what he hears. He's not here to draw attention to himself. He's here to glorify Jesus. If you ever hear a message on the Holy Spirit and it's not glorifying Jesus, then there's something missing because that is his primary purpose here on earth is to draw us to Jesus, the Son. What his purpose is going to be after we, are, we die and, and we're in his presence, we don't know. But for right now, that is his mission here on earth is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. In John 16, 14, Jesus says, He will glorify me, for he, take, he will take of what is mine and he will declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. John 16, 8 also tells us that he will convict the world of righteousness. He will convict the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So what does that mean? Righteousness, the fact that Jesus was accepted by the Father in heaven proved his righteousness. The fact that the Holy Spirit was even sent by Jesus proved Jesus' righteousness because Jesus kept announcing this. He said, and when I am glorified with my Father, and when I go, I will send him to you, or the Father will send the promise to you. So the moment that we received, or that that they received the Holy Spirit on day of Pentecost, Jesus was sitting in the right hand of the Father, glorified, accepted, and received as righteous. And no one can see the righteousness of Jesus without the Holy Spirit showing it to them. We can't see his righteousness. If you see Jesus Christ as righteousness, as high and exalted tonight, it is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is the Holy Spirit in you. The fact that the Holy Spirit was even sent also proved Jesus' righteousness. Jesus was approved by God and therefore was received by God. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says that he is Jesus Christ the righteous. My little children, says John, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, the Paracletos, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Unless the Holy Spirit shows you that, unless he shows me that, I won't believe. If you believe that tonight, do you believe that tonight? Then it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the only acceptable sacrifice received by the Father. Nothing we could do on our own will make us approved unto God. It is the work of Jesus Christ that makes us righteous before God. Romans 10, no, excuse me, Romans 3, 10 through 12 tells us, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no not one. But only the Holy Spirit can reveal the righteousness of Christ to us. Only he can show us that Jesus was more than just a good man. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal and open our eyes to that. So when you're talking to the girl at the grocery store, pray for that. You know, a lot of people, they say, oh, I believe, I mean, the Muslims, Buddhists, a lot of people believe that Jesus was a good man. He was one of the prophets, the Muslims say. He was good. I don't have a problem with Jesus. There are some people even that just stick to Jesus' words only, and they reject the rest of the Bible. Just Jesus' words. That's it. If Jesus said it, I receive it. But they deny everything else. If they don't receive Jesus Christ as the righteous one, then the Holy Spirit has not shown it to them, and that's what we need to pray for. Show this to them, Lord. Open their eyes to see you for who you are and your righteousness. I mean, have you ever tried to convince someone to receive Jesus? Right? You're there and you give them all the scriptures. Maybe you took the classes, right? The evangelism. How to share your faith. The great glory thing, right? Everything. And, and, and you go down the list and everything and, and they're just like, yeah. I mean, I've even ganged up on someone. We've doubled up with Joaquin and I jump in there and while he's taking a breath, I jump in. And while I'm taking a breath, he jumps in and we just like bulldoze we have bulldoze people and they still walk away from there just 
like, and sometimes even, oh, wow, it's like, can you believe them, right? Unless the Holy Spirit opens their eyes, they won't see. Doesn't matter what we say. It's a work of the Spirit. There's this illustration um, that I love. It was about this preacher who was traveling up in the mountains, and he was on his way to a church, and on his way to the church, he stopped at this hotel, and um, when the, and it was a remote hotel, and when the proprietor um, saw him, met him, he knew who he was, and he's like, oh, he's like, you know what, we're so far away, we don't get to go to church often, would you mind giving the service for us tomorrow, you know, so that we could hear, and he's like, sure, he's like, um, but I just will ask you one thing, he's like, when I walked in, there was this woman, that was standing in the corner, and she was just really, you know, she, this woman was just didn't look real good. She wasn't dressed real well. Her, her hair wasn't the best, and she was just downcast and just looked miserable. And he's like, I'd like for her to come. And the proprietor's like, oh, her? And he's like, yes, yes, I would like for her to assist too. So, okay, the proprietor made the deal. Okay, so the next day he came, and um, he, did, he did his little sermon. And at the end of the sermon, everybody walked out. They were all very gracious. They thanked him. But the woman stayed. She was standing in the back, and she stayed. When finally everybody had left, she came forward. And she talked to him, and she said, Sir, I'd like for you to teach me how to pray. And she's like, But but teach me something simple. I'm, I'm a humble, simple woman. Teach me something really simple. And he's like, Okay. He says, I'm gonna show, I'm going to teach you how to pray with the fingers of your hand. And he says, And I'm going to leave. And when I come back, we'll talk about it. And he taught her. Okay, I have to make sure I got it right. Uh, He taught her, oh, Lord, show me myself. Oh, Lord, show me myself. He's like, I'll be back in a week. Every day, I want you to pray that prayer. She said, okay. So he left. He came back. And when he came to the door, the proprietor was like, what did you tell that woman? She's been crying and crying and crying. She's been miserable. She's making all of us miserable. What did you do to her? And he was like, oh, oh, so he went and he talked to her. And, and she's like, Lord, she's like, sir, don't, don't, I don't want to pray this anymore. I, I don't want to see myself anymore. I just can't stand it anymore. I just, don't make me pray that prayer again, please. And he's like, okay, I'm going to teach you a new prayer. Okay. She's like, oh, but it has to be simple. Cause remember I'm really simple minded and I'm, I don't know much and I need something simple. He's like, it's okay. I'll teach you another five finger prayer. So he tells her to pray. Oh, Lord, show me thyself. Oh, Lord, show me thyself. And he says, I want you to pray that every day for the rest of your life. He's like, okay, I could do that. Preacher left. Years later, years passed by, and he went to inaugurate a church that was close by. And he went and he did this um, his little sermon, and, and uh, uh, there was this couple, this radiant couple, that came to him, and, and the young woman came, and she was like beautiful, and she was finely dressed, and she looked great. She came up to him, and she says, you don't remember me, do you? And he's looking at her like vaguely, and she's like, you remember that you taught me the five-finger prayer? And she says, I prayed that prayer, and God started to change my life. She started just to change, and she started serving God in church. She got married. And now she, they were serving in ministry, all because of the simple prayers. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. We need to see ourselves. And we need to see ourselves in light of who Jesus is. So that we can truly see uh, ourselves for who we are. And only the Lord can show us that. Because while we think that we're good, we're going to keep rejecting him. I don't need Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't need, I don't need to go to church. I don't need your Bible. I'm doing fine. I'll be fine. We need God to do that work in our lives. And we need to pray that for ourselves. Sometimes when I feel a little, maybe, oh yeah, I got that. Oh yeah. Then the Lord tells me, hey, be careful. I'm like, oh Lord, show me myself. Show me, (laughs) show me my sin. (laughs) Show me, show me. Because we are all so quick to think, okay, I got it. Okay. I got that one down. Oh yes. But no, we need to be careful. And those are good things to pray for other people and to encourage them to pray for themselves. As I think back about when I first came to the Lord, it was through this that he saved me. Not through a five-finger prayer, but pretty much he showed me myself. He showed me who I was. I would look in the mirror 
And I was tired of who I was. And it was, I was so disgusted with myself. And I said, Lord, I want a new life. I didn't know God. I didn't know anything about being born again. I didn't know Jesus. I just saw myself and I was disgusted and I wanted a new life. And then he came and he showed me his self. And I was ready to receive. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And the more time we spend looking at Jesus, the more righteous he becomes, right? The more beautiful, the more desirable he is. The more we know him, the more we realize how undeserving, how dirty, how ugly, how, how we need him to cleanse us and wash us and forgive us. I have another story, but I'm not going to give it to you for time's sake. But it just keeps reminding me. It's just we really need to seek ourselves next to him. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we can be forgiven of our sin and our unrighteousness. The third thing that he will do is convict the world of judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged, he said. Now, who is the ruler of this world? In John fourteen thirty, he says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Satan is the ruler of this world. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because right now he's not ruling the way that he will one day. For a short amount of time, Satan has been given the title deed to this earth. And he is ruling. And so when people ask you, so if God's a God of love, why does this happen in this world? Why does that happen? Well, because his kingdom has not come. And that's why we pray, thy kingdom come. We want his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, it's not going to be like this. In heaven, those wicked, ugly things that, you're, that we're experiencing, there's not going to be. There's not going to be COVID. We're not going to have to wear masks. We're not going to have to go get, you know, talking about vaccines and getting into debates and being all divided. And no, in heaven, we're all going to be one happy family. <laughs> and we're all going to be there and we're going to rejoice. But right now, it's not it's not time yet, but it's coming. And Satan has been judged. Satan was defeated and overthrown by Christ's work on the cross. In John 12, 31 to 32, he says, Now is a judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. I love the all peoples part. From everywhere, he's not discriminating. His will and his desire is that the world would be saved. That's his desire. And on the cross, Satan was judged. It is done. And if Satan in his rebellion will not escape judgment, then certainly the world will not escape it either. And there's a lot of people that just don't believe. They refuse. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe that God's going to judge. I don't believe a loving God will do that. I don't believe. I don't believe. I don't believe. Unless the Holy Spirit opened their eyes, they're never going to believe. And we need to ask him. We need to pray that he open their eyes. And if that's you tonight and you don't believe, pray that he opens your eyes. And he will. In the book of Revelation, we see Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit. I love, I love to see Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation. He says, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Today he is speaking. He is beckoning the world to listen and to respond by receiving Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. The Avengers won't save you. They can't. Batman can't save you. Sorry. Spider-Man can't save you. The Force can't save you. Sorry, no can do. There is only one name given under heaven by which man can be saved. And that name is the name of Jesus. But only the Holy Spirit can convince anyone of our lack of holiness and righteousness and of our need to be saved from the coming judgment and of the fact that only Jesus can save us through his work upon the cross. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. You see how we've been trying to do his work, trying to convince people, beating ourselves over the head, you know, why don't they listen? Why don't they? We've been talking, I've been talking, I've been showing, I've been sharing, I've been, ah, why don't they believe, Right? Because it's not my work. It's not your work. It's not your job. It's not my job. There's nothing we could ever do except for bearing witness that they may see Christ through us and in us. But other than that, you pray for them and ask the Lord to have mercy and to open their eyes that their scales might be removed like even Paul, the apostles, or Saul. 
when he lost the scales that were on his eyes. We wonder why our kids who grew up in the church and having heard all the stories, they learned all the songs, they saw and heard all the amazing things, they watched all the veggie tales, you know, they walk away as adults. We can't, we just can't assume that they're going to be saved by our faith. We just can't assume it. They must listen and believe in God themselves. It's individual. God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. And each must be convinced by him and be willing to come to God, standing on his or her own and making his or her own decision. Each must have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to him or to her individually. And each must believe in Jesus and choose and decide for his or herself to receive the sacrifice that Jesus made to save them. It's not a work of God. Excuse me, pardon me, go back. It is a work of God. It's not yours. Yes, but we must do our part. We must bear witness. And John in fifteen twenty six, he says, But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. We must teach them. We must lead by our example. We must reflect God to them. We must pray for them. But ultimately, it is a work of God. If perfect parenting would produce perfect children, then Adam and Eve would never have sinned because they had the perfect father. But God gave each of us a choice and the liberty to choose to believe or not to believe. And that's why we need this helper that Jesus was talking about and that he sent to take his place in the world because Jesus was the very first paracletos before the Holy Spirit, right? He was the one that was here on earth and now he sent the Holy Spirit, now the paracletos who is with us here and now and that is the age that we're living in today, the age of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the helper, because we we've been reading that he's going to send the helper, it is in the Greek, the parakletos, and it means summoned or called to one side, especially called to one's aid. One who pleads another's cause before a judge, a pleader, counsel for defense, so an advocate, a legal assistant, one who pleads another cause with one or an intercessor, so he's also the intercessor. Um, it's like... To put it simple, it's like, like the word parachute, paramedic. The word para, para means coming alongside. But it's coming alongside you in a way to save you. So he is, you could say he is our parachute. He is our paramedic. He is the paracletus, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the comforter. All of these things contained in that one word. That's who he is. He is there to teach you, to remind you, to intercede for you because he is the intercessor. John 14, 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the paracletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. That is his job. He will teach us all things. Bring to remembrance all things in his word. So we got to be in his word because if we're not in his word, how is he going to bring it to remembrance? I mean, he could speak to you genuinely, but come on, we need to, we need to put our faith into action. If we say we're Christians, then we need to act like Christians. If we say we love God, then we need to bear fruit, be in his word, spending time with him in prayer. We need to bear fruit that shows and that is evidence that we are his and that we're walking with him. John sixteen twelve says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will open our understanding according to his will, and according to his timing. There are things that I am understanding now that when I first came to the Lord in 1995, there's no way I would have understood it. There was too much. But in his timing, according to his will, 
He's been revealing things to me. And I'm sure that's the same of you. And if you keep seeking, he will continue to open your understanding and he'll give you more. But if you stop and you're satisfied, then that's all you're going to get. Don't you want, like we were singing, more? Don't you want more? It's like, Lord, I want it all. Give it to me. I want all of it. But according to your will and your time. Because <laughs> I don't know, I could handle it all at once. Right? So just like Jesus was, we need to be led and driven by him now. Um, remember when, uh, we're not going to read it, but do you remember when the Lord uh, was baptized? And then it says in, I believe three of the Gospels, it says that he, in two of them it says that he was uh, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. But in one, I believe it was Mark, it says that he was driven by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead us, he will guide us, and at times he will drive us. And yes, at times he will even drive us to the wilderness experience. But he's not going to abandon us. He will be with us there, even in the wilderness, even in the desert, wherever he is, wherever he wants us to be, he will, he will be. He won't let us by ourselves. He will lead us and guide us if we are seeking him and hearing what he is saying, because he is speaking it today. He is speaking to the church today. The question is, are we listening? Are you listening? Am I listening? He has provided this amazing power and strength now for today. There's so many people that say, oh, yeah, the miracles. Those are for the, the old church, the ancient church, the, the, the beginning. It was just because, you know, he wanted to reveal himself in a special way. All that stuff is dead now. You know, oh, yeah, you know, remember the Calvary Chapel movement and all, at the beginning and all the things that were happening with the hippies and how people were being saved and healed and all that. That stuff passed already. That's, that's not for today. Wrong. The Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What has changed? Or should I say, who has changed? Maybe it's the church. Maybe we're not seeking him like we should. Maybe we're lukewarm. Maybe we're just too comfortable. It's not him that has changed. He wants to give it all to us. Luke 24, 49, he says, Behold, I send the promise, there's another name for him, of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The word for power in the Greek is the, is the word dunamis. It means strength, power, ability for performing miracles, the power to influence. It's virtue. Like remember when Jesus was walking in the multitude and it says that someone, that woman reached out and touched him and he said, who touched me? And they're like, Lord, there's a bunch of people here and you're asking who touched you? And he says, someone touched me because I felt power leaving my body. The word that he said was virtue in the King James, I believe, and it's dunamis. Jesus had this dunamis power within him. While he was on this earth, he wasn't powerless. He just chose to rely upon the Holy Spirit. So when this woman reached out and touched him, that power went out from his body. It's the word that, um, uh, the root for the word dynamite. It's this explosive power. It's a power that doesn't proceed from man. It's a power that proceeds from the Spirit of God or from God himself. His power Dunamis power is his power, not our power. Because you have to admit, we could be pretty explosive at times too, right? We could be pretty dynamite when we want to, right? It's like, oh yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be dynamite myself. <laughs> but nothing good ever comes from that, right? When we have our own explosive power, we need to be submitted and subjected to the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by my power, but my, by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. And that is what he will accomplish his will on this earth with. We on our own strength can do nothing. Zero. Our love, it ends. Have you ever felt your love end for someone? When you're like, ay Diosito, ya no puedo con esta persona, ayúdame. <laughs> ya no, se me acabó el amor, right? I'm done. <laughs> no more love for this person. I'm so tired of this person. 
How long, Lord? Right? And the Lord says, oh, then you're not loving with my love. You're loving with your own love because my love never ends. Right? You're right. Diosito, perdóname, right? But it's true. It's true. Our, our patience, it runs out. Our forgiveness, how many times do I have to forgive this person? Lord, I'm so tired. They're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And they're just fix it with sorry. <laughs> like my husband, sorry. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you can't fix it with sorry. I'm sorry. You need to make it right. <laughs> right? Our patience runs out. Right? Our forgiveness, it runs dry. We on our own grow weary of what we should be doing. Of, of producing the fruit. We're, we need to produce love. There it goes. Right? And, and we grow weary of that. When it's not our work, it's, 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 it's the work of the Holy Spirit. He does that. When do we see a tree straining? All right. Okay, let's move on. We on our own grow weary. We can only make a difference by the power of his spirit. The Lord Jesus relied on the power of his spirit while he was here on this earth. Not because, like I said, he had no power, but because he chose to live and to act by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He set his power aside. And he submitted himself completely as a man to the will of God. Why? I think one of the reasons, I don't know the exact answer why, but I could think of why I, I believe that it's because he wanted to show us that that same power with which he lived victoriously, the same power by which he was baptized and anointed, by which he walked and defeated the devil and overcame the temptations of the devil, the same power by which he healed and the same power by which he taught and by which he loved and he worked himself with sleepless nights, not even being able to retreat and get time alone. He had to go in the middle of the night to spend time with the Father. By the same power by which he was able to endure the cross, the humiliation, the torture, the shame, that same power that he leaned into is the same power that lives in you and that lives in me. The power of the Holy Spirit. He is the helper. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? He was born of the Spirit, baptized and filled with the Spirit, offered to God in holiness and without blemish or sin. He led, he was driven in the power of the Spirit, raised by the Holy Spirit, filled with all the fullness of God and victorious in everything by the Spirit. And that is the promise, the gift to you and to me. Paul desired the Ephesian church to know God in this way. In chapter 3, 14, um, in Ephesians, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, just that, what we just talked about, doesn't it just make you want to bow? in worship and thanksgiving to him. That's how Paul felt. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God today. I love how our Tori explains it. He says, it's easy to understand that you can take a cup and you can fill that cup with water from the ocean, right? No problem, right? Yep, you take a cup and let's say this was, you know, from the ocean. But to take all the water of the ocean and fill that same cup with all the water in the ocean and contain it in that one little vessel, that is what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God. 
right? That is what God has done with man, with me and with you. The moment you believe, exciting, huh? Through the Holy Spirit, he fills us, man, woman, child, with all the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit causes Christ to dwell within you and within me. Can you grasp it? The fullness of God within you and me. It's, it's too high. It's too big. I can't, I can't even begin to comprehend it. For a long time, I was trying to do the work that only belongs to him. When I let go of that, I was free. And I'm just talking about a couple of years ago, maybe within the last year. Like that, the burden has been lifted. Because now I completely understand that I'm not called to save or to convince anybody. I was beating myself up because I don't have the gift of evangelism. As much as I try, I'm there and I'm like, Lord, help me, help me, help me. <laughs> I want to say something. They need to be saved. Help me. <laughs> right? And then my husband comes and, oh, you want to receive Jesus? Yes, okay. And I'm like, what on earth? What happened? You know, he has a gift of evangelism like that. Somebody sitting next to him on an airplane, you could be sure that he's going to be get witness to and 50% chance that he's going to be saying the sinner's prayer before he gets off. He <laughs> just, just has a gift, right? I'm only called, when I understand that I am only called to bear witness, when I'm only called to reflect him, when I'm only called to be obedient to him day by day, I'm not expected to do the supernatural. I'm only asked to trust the God who is able to do more than I could ever think or imagine of doing. He is the divine helper. Tenga, the divine helper. How do you like that? Do you want divine help today? You have that in the Holy Spirit. Like Pastor Chuck said, He's a great guy to have around, right? When I'm lost, he finds me. When I'm confused, he clarifies. When I don't know how, he teaches me. When I don't know what to do, he guides me, he gives me wisdom. When my resources fail, his resources never do. When I don't know what Bible study I'm supposed to give to the Calvary Chapel women at Cornerstone on Thursday night, he knows. <laughs> and just in the nick of time, he tells me what it is. <laughs> when I don't understand, he's there for me to lean on. When I can't, he can. When I'm afraid, he reassures me. When I'm abandoned, he takes me in his arms and he loves me. When I feel lonely, He's there. He's with me. When I keep falling and failing, he helps me get back up and he gives me the drive to keep on trying to not grow weary of doing good. When I am faithless and I have been faithless, he is faithful. When I'm in the midst of a storm, he brings peace within the storm. When I walk through the fire, he's there with me in the fire. When I'm sick, he heals me. When I'm tired, he carries me. And when I'm dying, he saves me. Pastor Chuck was right. He is a great guy to have around, isn't he? We need to be mindful of him. Do you know him this way tonight? I'd like to just take a moment. Could you girls come up? Just during the worship, just to ask him to reveal himself to us in this way. Just to ask him if we've been, if you have found yourself leaning on your own abilities, on your own resources, on your own strength, on your own wisdom. It's time to let go and to 
go to the divine helper, to lean on him. That's why he's here. If you're grieving over your prodigal, beating yourself up, thinking you were the worst parent, you could have done better. Maybe someone you love took their life and you can't stop thinking about it and blaming yourself. It's not your fault. You gotta let go. Only the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of the non-believer. Only he can heal those wounds that seem like they can't be healed. Only he can give you the love and the forgiveness and the strength and the patience that you need to continue to care for maybe that person that like you can't anymore. Only he can give you the gift of faith to keep believing, to keep hanging on. Whatever it is, only he could do it. So in closing, we're going to hand it over to the girls. And I just want to encourage you that you turn this last worship song into your prayer. And that wherever it is that he met you, and that's been my prayer, that he would meet you tonight, that you surrender it to him. And that you go to him, the divine helper. Have you been convicted of something? Turn it over to him. Thank him that he opened your eyes. Hand it over to him, all of it. Don't walk out of here the same. 